Welcome to the Cricket's Sidecar, where we go a little further into a story of note with the person who wrote it. Hi there, I'm Erica Brown, and welcome to the Sidecar Podcast. <laughs> I'm here with Chris McGinn, <laughs> our lovely features editor. Hi, Chris. Hi, Erica. It's been a while. I guess that's the that's the unavoidable first topic of our conversation, <laughs> our chat. First of all, I love that these are casual for this reason. We have been woefully, woefully <laughs> absent with our podcasting. For sure. We were joking that it's crickets at the cricket because yeah. we, we got going and they were going great. And just when we sort of hit our stride, I don't know, for some reason that none of us actually can put our finger on, we just stopped. Oh, 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 <laughs> no, I can put my finger on it. And so can you, but you're just trying to be nice. Chris, Christy King right? Oh, right. Christy Not King COVID. is our is our digital person. <laughs> and we love Christy and Christy oh, loves us. True. And she's amazing. But she got an amazing chief technology officer gig at a brand new um, sports franchise. It's yeah. like a sports um It's like barehanded fighting. No, no, no. <laughs> it's called bare knuckle boxing. By for the Street record. Fighters. Exactly. For the record, everybody should know Christy <laughs> King, who we adore, we love. She worked at Ultimate Fighting UFC for eight years. So that's her background. And she is all things nerdy and digital, which is why we have the podcast, which is why we have a great website, et cetera, et cetera. So she has been brought on to a startup sports league called Bare Knuckle Boxing. Okay, and it really is called Bare Knuckle no, Boxing. No, I was with her when she went to the dry cleaner to get like the blood off of her <laughs> interview suit for her final interview, which is in a fight. Uh, that is true, folks, 100%. So that is really why we've been woefully neglectful on yeah. sort of the whole production part of this thing. But we're back and we've got a lot of great things coming up. And so I'm, I'm really, I'm excited about <laughs> sitting down and talking to you. So I think I what agree. we should do is play catch up. Let's play catch up. Yes. And and I, I must say, by the way, we did all the equipment ourselves. So just yeah. for the record, we sort of mastered all this. <laughs> I hope this is recording, but you if know, not. Our nerd quotient isn't quite where it should be, right, but it's right. good enough. Right. And good ahead. enough is all we need. <laughs> so we're back. <laughs> all right. So listen, I'd like to just quickly, maybe even review, we don't need to go back into everything, but I'd like to look at, like, if I think about the pieces that you've done in the last like four or five months, there's one in particular I really loved. I'd love to just talk about it really quickly. Sure, of course. The Trudeaus. Ah, uh, yes. The, the, the Trudeaus, the Trudeaus of, Essex. of Essex. Anyone who pulls into the main corner of Essex will see that there is a, a lovely pottery, wheelworks pottery sign that is irresistible. It's open intermittently. So you always feel a little lucky when the open flag is out. <laughs> and behind the gate that feels like you're definitely walking into someone's house is the wonderful world of Jim and Anne Trudeau. Now you wanted to do this for a while, I think. Um, yes. For, well, since before COVID. Exactly. And so, you know, it's a, you have to do him in the summer because he truly really is working mostly through the summer and yeah, COVID hit and he shut up and as did everything else. So we lost him, mm -hmm. but then we got him back. And he turned out to be everything, you know, I hoped he would be. I only knew him through his pottery, but it turns out the potter behind the pottery is quite exceptional. Oh, that's interesting. I love that. But can I start though with the pottery? Because the pottery, what Wheelworks has been in Essex and Essex is known for antiques. It's known for fried clams. It's known for clamming as shipbuilding and antiques. And, you know, I mean, that's sort of its, it's, uh, its center of gravity. Right. And so to have a potter with Wheelworks and he, He's been doing this for how long now? Ooh, I should remember this, but I think he's been doing this for about 20 years. Exactly. Yeah. This And this 
yeah, he, he settled into Essex and opened up his doors after doing sort of the craft circuit and finding his way. Mm-hmm. And he's been there supporting himself and selling his pottery for, I think, 20 years, yeah. which is marvelous. And why I called it the village potter is what's sort of remarkable about him is having gone through sort of extensive training as a potter and before that, you know, kind of finding his way. Um, he really did something that I find admirable and frankly quite unusual, which is having been around other artists and having sort of seen the culture there, he decided to pull back, get quiet, mm. work on his own, and make affordable pottery, which mm. we all know, you know, I love handmade pottery, but you pick up a bowl or you pick up something and oftentimes you're happy to have it, but it's quite expensive. And his is, it's it's still, it's it's not totally inexpensive, but he really wanted to make pottery regularly for, for people to have in their homes every day. And so the first time I met him, which was years ago, I commented on how pleased I was to buy this platter. And he said, truly, I like to sell it because I like to make it. So mm. he's, he's, he's worked out this wonderful system where he gets to do what he loves. Frequently, he has his own studio back there in his own kiln. He's completely self-sufficient. Mm. And then he has a little shop out front. And oftentimes when you're wandering around wondering if anybody's there, Anne will like look over from the house and say, I'm coming down. And she'll show you his work. And it's it's a small, beautiful world. It really is beautiful. And it was a great piece. I love his work. I thought it was so beautiful. And yet it's it's so it's practical. It's practical art, obviously. It's it's pottery that you actually use. As opposed to, I mean, there's other potters that are like, and artists who do sculptures and pot- like, I think of Anna Kasabian who works in porcelain and, Absolutely. you know, she's, uh, she's seen in, I mean, she's in very high end kind of interior decorator worlds, right, um, right, you know, right. Charles Spada and things like that in right. Boston, but sort of a practical, he's on another area, end of the spectrum. He's in a different place on the spectrum. Absolutely. And kind of where it all began. So of course, people started making you know their own dishes and then it became high art. And we would see ceramics in art galleries. We would see shows. It was mm. not always functional, sometimes just for aesthetic purposes, which I am completely for. But Jim just decided to go back to the beginning and make it so that you, know, you could have a whole set of dishes that are handmade. And I also love that he sort of works within restriction. He he has a very mm. set sort of glazes that he works with, a sort of set that of same colors, same method, and yet within that, which I sort of love. Yeah. That sort of freedom through limitation. Yep. He finds these new patterns and these new ways and yet it's controlled. And mm. so you do get that sort of same result over and over again, which means that you can have many of his pieces that speak to each other, but no two of course are the same. I love it. I love it. And it's interesting. So the piece is called The Village Potter, and people can find it on the website. And what's interesting is, as I'm listening to you, I'm reminded of all the other great pieces you've done in Essex, where Essex really is sort of the focal point. And I just spent so much time telling, talking about Essex being antiques and shipbuilding and fried clams, (laughs) you know, and food, restaurants, great restaurants, really great restaurants. But it's so interesting. You have really... It, it's really so creative too. I mean, think it about is. the bubble factory you've I was done, just glass say, blowing. Uh, Dorothy Kerper Monolith, Dorothy, Dorothy a Monoli. photographer that does oh my god, the most black stunning, and white, you know exactly, format. exactly yeah. gel prints. They're beautiful. And then Thaddeus Beale, you oh, know, Thaddeus, the yes. painter who lives, who finds calmness in chaos. I mean, it's <laughs> like uh, you know, oh, quiet yeah. in chaos. I mean, and but so I, I love that. So those are all really great pieces. I would recommend anybody to go and check out because they really are a different take on Essex. I love it. 
Great. Well, we love Essex. You never know what's gonna. <laughs> you never know what you're gonna find in Essex, but it's always quite That's true. delightful. That's very true. Absolutely. All right. Let's. Okay. Another piece, and then we can move on to what's going on. But sure. Andy Shepard. Andy Shepard, the UPS phenomenon that everyone knew but me. <laughs> so I got assigned a piece, which kind of that that was also a new dynamic. You know, oftentimes, you know, I'll kind of come in with something that I know about. So I want to write it. I've unearthed, you know, a glass blower or an artist or who knows what. But this time it was could you? And I had met Andy briefly, but you know, I didn't have the same, you know, regular relationship with him. Andy Shepard is a gentleman, as probably everyone I'm talking to knows, except me, who's been the UPS person in town for how how long was it? It was like 40 years or something insane. I mean, he's it, been working for UPS, I think. For he's us. the UPS guy. His only mark, his only service area is Manchester by the sea, right? So literally a town of 5,500 people, and he's our guy. So you literally, to live here, you see him every day. You see him every day. And more every day. with the advent of online shopping and then a God COVID. Hey, I have never seen him not smile. Have you? No. Okay, no. And and this was, again, the way I opened it, which you know was kind of crazy, but entirely true, is that as I left to go about town talking to people about Andy every single time, the reaction was the same. You know, would you like to talk about Andy, the UPS guy? And people just lit up. And then came the stories. And then came how much he was going to be missed. I mean, this was clearly a person who touched people's lives every day for decades. Yeah. yeah. And you asked me the question. I didn't answer it. So I'll answer it. He went to UPS 31 years ago. Thank you. you can um, and he came in right after college. So he's relatively young for, to be retiring, but he has been somebody with just so much energy and so so much vibrancy. And he's so up and positive. And what happened is he, okay, now I'm just going to prove that I read your story. So I appreciate that because I've forgotten my story half the time. <laughs> no, that's not I need true. You. But, but 31 years ago, he took a job, it was a temp job at UPS after majoring in psychology and college. Exactly. It was his like, this will pay the bills while I find my real job. job. Exactly. Zip. 31 <laughs> years later, he's retiring from UPS. And he came to Manchester 20 years ago. That's right. He did He did a brief stint in, I think, Ipswich. And then there was yeah, another one. Like but, Ipswich Rally. Yeah, those yeah. poor people. And when he had cut, when he got- We deprived those towns oh, of, I know. of, we, of like, Andy. We stole Andy. <laughs> and you know, what was interesting is he had, when he got the Manchester route, he had only visited the town once as a child. And when he got it, it was, I mean, lest we forget, this was before GPS. Yeah. So this guy was yeah. like, you know, he had some, another UPS person join him for two days and show him <laughs> the route. It was a notoriously difficult route. Apparently it, hard enough that he needed encouragement from the townspeople, which he got. They said, stick with it. You're going to get there. You're kidding. No. And he, that was the beginning of what this would be. So much so that he got the route down, stuck with it. And of course we all know how that went, but once and only once he was taken off the route briefly because someone at UPS with more seniority who can ask mm. for a route asked for Manchester by the sea. And it took that person two weeks to throw in the towel and give it back to Andy because it was so difficult. Done, done, so done. So Andy stuck with it and we stuck with Andy and it has been like a love story ever since. All right. I mean, my favorite quote of your story was, it was like, you talked to a bunch of people, like it was all over the place in a great way. So my favorite was Mark Stoll, oh, the wow. owner of Manchester by the Book. His, <laughs> he, he told you that he suspected that employees of his were putting in orders <laughs> yeah, for, just, for to buy things just because they wanted oh, yeah. to see Andy every oh, day. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And my favorite thing was, he goes, I don't really care. And I don't really care. Because <laughs> I like is, Andy too. This is how much everyone loves Andy. <laughs> my favorite was... was Sitting at this 
wonderful event at Tuck's Point with a group full yeah. of friends and Maria Schmidt sitting down, realizing that the whole table was talking about Andy because I had brought it up. And of course there was this eruption of like, you know, adulation and blah, blah, blah. But Maria just sat down and she said, oh, Andy, the UPS guy. I love him. He's nice. He's cute. And he brings me shoes. <laughs> and it was like, there it is. <laughs> That's Maria Schmidt, who is the overachieving uh, resident mom of Manchester. She's <laughs> everywhere. She's mom of the year. She was president of the PTO for years and years. Now oh. she works ably as sort of the the assistant for right. Memorial School, for the Memorial School. She right. does such a good job. But anyway, she's incredibly energetic and I can totally hear her saying Oh, that. and she's funny. He's and cute she's and he brings me shoes. And he brings me shoes. <laughs> like what, what, what more is there to say? Okay. Now here's another thing. I've lived in Manchester for 35 years, something like that. And I have known Andy the whole time, right? Right. Never knew until this time that he's got a nickname. <laughs> never, never knew this. Okay, let's hear it. Her. And so it came up multiple times. I'm going to be honest. The first time I heard about it was, maybe I shouldn't say. So the first person I asked about Andy, they said, and I quote, you mean I candy Andy? Oh, <laughs> and candy Andy. So Andy, candy you, Andy. Uh, candy wow, Andy. there you go. Just because Andy is, you know, very handsome. And, I'd like to say it's because he's sweet. It's very. He's very sweet. He's very handsome. And I think I, the one thing I can tell you is that he will be missed. And he yeah. clearly just regularly Seriously. touched people's lives. Um, and what a joy. And thank God for GPS because now a UPS person can come and they'll have no problem with the roots. But exactly, Andy. He did it. Okay. So let's start talking just quickly about what's going on right now. Because there's a lot. I mean, we're, we've hit the summer. The weather's beautiful. The energy's great. Oh, God. You know? yeah, I summer mean, people are so excited to just week. be out and about and doing their thing. Definitely. Now, who has returned to us this oh, summer? This, this summer vibe was in full view when Erica and I had a meeting with our beloved former high school writer, current college student intern, Olivia Turner. Ali Turner, Olivia Turner. Yes, that's exactly right. She had she was a uh, rising freshman at Emory University last summer when we had her, and she was just she's such a strong writer, and she's such a she's like a metronome. She like boom, boom, boom. She just Absolutely. nailed it last last year, and this year she came to us. And last year she was all about government and municipalities and the town hall notebook and town meetings and right. boards, and this summer. It's all about what's going on. That's and, right. And I do have to add here is that, you know, we watched her as a high school writer. We had her as an intern last year. And I can say her, she to watch her step into writing, bigger writing and her growing as a writer has been so cool. And she's, yeah, she's fantastic. Yes. And we have her on the what's going on and what do we need to be seeing and eating and listening to beat. And she's crushing it. That's right. She wanted to do arts and entertainment and she wanted to go all around Cape Ann and thank God, because that's exactly what we wanted for the paper. So she's been doing some great things. And right now, my favorite, I love this week. This week, she did a great piece. <laughs> Which we've been talking about for a long time. And we always get super excited because everybody has a very strong opinion. It is a sandwich lover's guide to Cape Ann. <laughs> what could be better? I, we probably should have had like a polling or something. So yes, we rallied together through the, you know, the population here, everybody's favorite sandwiches. And Ollie went and tried them all and wrote about them. And I think there's even a map. We gave her the company card <laughs> and we basically said, just go and get whatever sandwiches. We gave her some guidance, but, um, and what I loved about it is it, you know, the paper can actually go really, 
it can go deep into some very complicated topics. It's also very charmingly, you know, sort of small town and and sweet and 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 very provincial. Mm. That's the secret of the cricket. Um, but I have to say, we've never done anything like this with sort of eating and sandwiches are just the humble sandwich is just so easy. It's, it's so- easy for people. It's cheap. It's fantastic. And thank God in Cape Ann, there's some freaking delicious sandwiches. Absolutely. <laughs> when we started talking about it, I realized how strongly I felt about some ah. of these sandwiches. <laughs> Like really, good. I was reading your piece. I just want to get a bottle of wine and like get a couple of those sandwiches exactly. and go home. I mean, right. why, why cook dinner anyway? Right. Well, I think it was Erica's idea to bring them all in and photograph them so that we could probably taste them all afterwards. We've had sa- a regular rotation of sandwiches. We did taste them all. We yeah. did eat them all. And Paul, <laughs> Paul Clark was the recipient of the last one, which was fantastic. Right. The second so, lunch. <laughs> okay. So we had, and we should like get the reference. And Ali should really talk about this. But she, I mean, the highest end one was the Happy Humpback. Cafe, which is in Magnolia, they have a seared tuna. They have a tuna sandwich. So you say, oh, it's a tuna sandwich. Right. No, 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 can. no. This is a beautiful chunk of tuna that is seared on the grill and it's got broccoli rob and harissa. I mean, it's it's spectacular. I've had it. And so that was great. So, um, and they're relatively new, correct? The Happy Humpback. They just opened up. Arrival. I think he was a chef. It's a couple. They're from Gloucester. He was a chef at the Beauport. Um, and they, you know, uh, opened up where the old Dunkin' Donuts used to be on the corner of Lexington Avenue and Hesperus. So they're right there. They're fantastic. They're not open for dinner. They're only open for breakfast and, and lunch. So there you go. And I, my brief experience, I haven't eaten there. And the seared tuna is, is happening now that I've tasted it, is that I bike by that route regularly and I, I can always smell the food. It smells <laughs> so delicious. And there's always people. It's packed. That's their marketing strategy. That's the like, marketing strategy. I really have to go. So When the target audience audience is the bikers. That's their marketing strategy. Get the waft going. Get the waft. The waft, Get the waft. Is spectacular. I can recommend the waft. <laughs> All right. So the sandwiches she went through and she can go through them in depth, but it was the banh mi at the mill. We, oh, all, we love that. Yeah. And there's Josh, a breakfast banh mi too. So the banh mi is the bomb. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, she had Virgilio's uh, bakery. Classic. That's like the authentic original. She had the St. Joseph's and that was amazing. Oh, By the way, Ollie has never had the St. Joseph's. Which the St. Joseph's is, well, first of all, it's all about the bread because it's Virgilio's bread. Right. But um, the St. Joseph's been around for decades and decades and decades. And it's a very simple sandwich. It's just a bunch of cold cuts, fresh cut cold cuts, mortadella, some, you know, bologna, ham, you know, just, I I I don't know if it's salami for sure. Yeah. And if you get the authentic original one, it's just the herbs and oil and that's it. And they basically serve it in a, in a light plastic bag because it's got olive oil on it and it would be messy. Some people get it with a lot of other things and they don't treat you badly if you do. <laughs> if you order with pickles and, <laughs> they, and like <laughs> they don't, no, they don't sit there and go, yeah, uh. yeah, but the authentic original is just that simple sandwich. And if you have it, it's spectacular. It's, we like Anyway, I said life. I wouldn't talk about <laughs> the sandwiches, but anyway, there was also Willow Rest, the oh. anchor, and that was a spectacular Always. sandwich. And then Vidalia's oh, in God. Beverly Farms. So we did sort yes. of go off. We went off no. the Cape Ann. Well, it's well, not technically Cape Ann. You know what? It's close enough. It, it is close so enough. So good when the pressed sandwiches, especially there, are just out of this world. Yeah, Vidalia is my favorite of Vidalia's by far. You just have to wait a little bit into the summer. Their BLT is t- like on white bread. It's just so simple. It's unbelievable. 
unbelievable. My dad. That's three words, by the way. Unbelievable. (laughs) Somehow tracks onto BLT, but we're not sure how. My dad, literally two days ago before they went to the airport, had the BLT, and he said it's one of the best BLTs he's ever had. And I thought he was just hungry. No, it's the bacon. No, the bacon, and then they get really, really good tomatoes. I mean, it's like that's of course a secret to a BLT. But anyway, Vidalia's and Beverly Farms are amazing. Say hello to Marilyn, and then of course let's wind it back up with the laughing gull back in Manchester with Dee Dee and Bruce. And it's funny we wanted to do their. They have a great vegetarian sandwich. As a vegetarian, as a pescatarian, I can tell you that their vegetarian sandwich is it's new. It's the green green goddess, right? Split them. It's the green goddess. Yeah, and it's if I may just plug the green goddess. It's get it on the ciabatta, get it pressed. It's pesto, spinach, cheese a fried egg, and avocado. Oh my God. Give me the wine. Um, But it's so funny when we called them, they're like, listen, we love the green goddess. Of course they made it up, but you know, they've, they've developed it. But, but Didi said, but really are by far our most popular sandwich. We can't, we make them all day long is the singing beach, which is, you know, it's not vegetarian. It's a different sandwich. Delicious. I'm really, really good. I, yes. I I don't know what's, what it is. It's got, uh, it's, uh, it's chicken and cheddar and bacon and avocado. And I mean, it's not chicken. It's actually Turkey. Sorry about that. And you can have it on whatever bread you want. You can have it. That's their thing over there. You can have it on a roll. You can have it on a ciabatta. You can have it on white. You can have it pressed or you can have it not pressed. Right. And they have excellent bread, which I am a bit of a bread snob, if I may say. And it makes the sandwich. Which they have killer Don't bread. they do AJ King? Mostly from, from AJ King. In, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Salem. Okay, so <laughs> now that we're starving. Guess what? Ali, I apologize. You won't be doing a podcast <laughs> on your sandwich story because right. we just did you it can for sleep you. sleep in on Monday. <laughs> Tick the box. It's done. Sorry. Anyway, another piece that we ran this week that I loved was the Amazon. Um, it was Postcard Home uh, with Larry Lamb, who typically he's he's he owns uh, Manchester Animal Hospital and he's uh, the town veterinarian, but he's an incredible world traveler and has since he was very very young. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, he did a Postcards Home three years ago, which is you know Postcards Home is our travel feature. And it's been around. Tell what's the tradition? I mean, it started at the well, beginning. Well, it's of the sort cricket, of a yes? re. I, it was. I decided to do a re up on it. It was a. I was looking at the archives years ago, and um, I am Marshall, who founded the Cricket, okay. and he was the founding editor in 1888. Mm-hmm. In um, the 1920s, he retired, and the Slade family bought the Manchester Cricket, and they continued to have him on, sort of as an editor, to sort of you know transition for quite a while, by the way. I think it was like years. And then he decided finally to retire. And I think he retired like in the late 20s or early 30s because I started to notice that he started traveling. Now in the 30s, imagine this, it's the depression, right? Right. He was traveling to Denmark. He went to Russia. He went in to the Olympics. I think it was... Oh, okay. I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it was like 1934 or 36, I think was like Berlin uh, because that's the famous Hitler where Jesse Owens, but um, he went to the Olympics in uh, Los Angeles and I don't remember what year it was, but it was a big deal. So he, he's go, he's go, goes on these incredible journeys. And then he, what he does is he writes these letters back to home to Manchester and the cricket would run them on the front page and they all started the same. And it was so sweet. Dear folks back home, comma. Oh. And then he would go on in this diary about this, what had to be incredibly exotic places right, for them to read about in the 1930s. I mean, it was Denmark and 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 Russia, like I said, you know, it was just uh, incredible. So we revived it and we said, you know, the cricket's not going to be a paper that is going to be Condé Nast Traveler. 
We're never going to do that. We're never going to do that. But what can we do that is going to be travel and elevated and aspirational, even if it means it's just about a trip to you know, almost heaven, West Virginia, or, or, or like Bailey <laughs> yes, Buchanan totally. wrote about um, hiking, hiking up, in up in the Vermont White Mountains and, in, or, uh, in New Hampshire. Yes. So we, so what we do is somebody writes up a diary entry, we help them edit it, and they have um, often incredible photographs because now photography is so accessible with iPhones right. and good cameras and digital cameras. And so what we do is we lay them out and people love it. They They're love it. wonderful. Yeah. No, they are wonderful. Yeah. The and first one we did was actually Christy King. A Christy King. Christy absolutely. King, our digital she, person, was our first one. She went to Kenya. That's right. And I love that she posed for her pictures with her Manchester <laughs> cricket hat on. That is not a requirement, <laughs> but it was so funny. And yeah, so there's so we call it Postcards Home. And it's a great way to do a travel piece. We actually won an award for it. Not, you know, not just saying. We won right? a great National Newspaper Association right, award absolutely. for it because it's a good idea. It's but it's idea. so easy and it gets people involved with the paper and it's fantastic. And well, it's community. Larry Lamb did a piece three years ago before COVID about an older trip he took when he was younger where he drove a van across the Sahara Desert in Africa. <laughs> and the pictures. The pictures were fabulous oh. and the people he met. And he yeah. really has this kind of ethos, you know, personal mm. ethos about travel and about how you should open yourselves up to people. I mean, it's very much the Mark Twain kind of cliche about the best cure for hate and bigotry is travel. A hundred percent. And and that's and Larry's thing. Larry's thing is you just have to be at full aperture. Now, you know, ha, oh, ha, well ha, done. But open yourself up and meet new people. So he did this incredible piece. We we're doing a, a podcast with him on it. Going, He went to the Amazon forest, but through Ecuador, right. which most which, people think of Brazil. I agree. I agree completely. I, I even, when we were, frankly, when we were proofing it, I, my eye caught that and double checked what I was, how it was working. Yeah. He went to the Galapagos Island first, and then he went with his daughter who lives in San Francisco. They flew there. And then um, the Galapagos of how appropriate uh, is that for a veterinarian, right? Perfect. And then they flew to Quito, uh, which is the capital of Ecuador, which I found to be so interesting because do you know the keto, which keto, not K-E-T-O, by the way, like yeah. the keto diet, <laughs> right. keto, Q-I-T, no, Q-U-I-T-O. Q-U-I-T-O. Yeah. It's the capital. And I'd never heard of it before. Nor I mean, and, I. and, you know, I, I'm, rel I mean, I'm not ignorant about South America and Central America, but I did not know, you know, uh, keto. It is the oldest city in any of the Americas, number one. Right. It goes back to four thousand it's an Incan, Incan it's yes. an Incan capital. It goes back, you know, to like four thousand BC. Right. But then it was the one of the first, I think it was the first colonialized, let's just say it was first colonialized by the Spanish in the fifteen hundreds, so the sixteenth right. century. So you have this architecture, it was spectacular. It was just an interesting story. One hundred percent, and I started sort of taking side notes as to like this could be a wonderful, a wonderful trip to take, and that's the wonderful thing about Postcards Home is he kind of lays out if you do it, how to do it, which yeah. which I really loved in this piece, particularly because everybody has a different way of approaching travel, and some people share, you know, we did the Echelon Institute sort of personal transformation or just straight up, yep. you know, sightseeing, but this was a little bit of you know how delightful it was to be with his daughter, but also. It kind of was a roadmap to if you if you are interested and can and choose to do this, I recommend perhaps 
this way, which yeah. I liked very much. That was he, new. I knew that because when we talked to him about it, he wanted to, because this is, you know, very higher end ec- ecotourism, right? Right. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about really connecting with the environment, um, a very special kind of source code for the environment on our globe, which is the Amazon forest, the indigenous peoples there. I mean, it was a very, it's very deep. You're off the grid. And I think what he wanted to do is he wanted to kind of balance that idea of saying, this is like a really amazing, utterly unique experience for any American. But at the same time, it's accessible because he wanted to say, I'm of the age where I'm not interested in roughing it anymore. He did. Yes. It so was, it, I, it, you go, it a, you can get, yeah. to, this is accessible. You can do this. I yes. mean, I think he wanted to kind of emphasize that. And so he did. hopefully, and yeah, yeah, hopefully came that across. came through. Okay. So <laughs> absolutely delightful. Yeah. Yes, okay. and, and as a plug, I mean, I think people should know, we really encourage anyone who takes a, a trip of any kind to please send in postcards home. It could just be the road trip you took with your son to go look at colleges. It could be anything. It doesn't, you know, it could be when you decided to go to, you know, Madagascar or Bora Bora or wherever else, you know, you go. But anything that meaningful travel, we would love to to hear your stories and any I more think, often than thank not. Thank you. Thank you for saying that because I really do think that I would love to encourage more people to do it. And we do want to do things that are right in our backyard. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes, you know, just just going out to Singing Beach can feel like an exotic, <laughs> exotic adventure sometimes. Maybe not that. but I'm actually going to be dropping off my one of my two boys. I have twin boys, and they're both going to college this year. And one of them is going to school in Williamsburg, Virginia. And I think I'm going to do my first postcard home. Yes. For Monticello, maybe like that whole kind of West Virginia e kind of area. Absolutely. Always wanted to go to Monticello because I'm a big sort of fan of architecture, and yeah. uh, you know, and that's a very interesting architectural story. That is, of course, Thomas Jefferson's yes, home that yes. he designed, and um, it's got some very interesting architectural elements to it. Oh, so anyway, um, I'll probably do that. But don't, speaking of, okay, we were talking about Mark Stoll <laughs> earlier, right? Yes. Hello, Always. John. So yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. So. You know, this is the, the delightful nature of the cricket. We just sort of bump around town and stories <laughs> come up. And when you go into Manchester by the book, there's always a story because there's always Mark Stoll. But this time the surprise was I went to see my friend Mark Stoll and um, the other lovely human that works there, there are, I think three, but is John. And John just came back from a trip to Spain yeah. where they were, he and a small group of students were studying the Camino de Santiago. Yeah. And he was sharing what a unique experience that was. And we were generally just chit-chatting when, bing, the light went off. And I was like, John, you have to write about this. So poor John at the moment is laid up with COVID, but we are looking forward. Yeah, he'll do it. That will be, it will be a wonderful, informed piece by John, who not only is a great storyteller, but he studies religion and has that fantastic context of I can't wait how, to see that, actually. You know, the importance of that sort of pilgrimage, really. And just geographically, in terms of the language, which is quite unique, I can't wait. And he took It is a pilgrimage. It's like a very popular, well, it's not very popular, but it's a pilgrimage that people do. It's 120 miles, I think, or something like that. Something like that. And and people do it. I can't wait to see John's take on it. I will just say, full disclosure, I one of my favorite pieces of writing for travel, is, and this is extremely unlikely, I'm going to say something that's going to make you go, what? Do you remember like the actors from the 80s, the, Brack, the Brat Pack? 
Oh, of course. <laughs> now I, we're talking. All right. Well, do you remember Andrew McCarthy <laughs> is one of them? I mean, he's yes. not a prolific or, um, actor anymore. He's, no, he's more selective. God, he's very good. We all were in love with him in the 80s. Well, he, he's turned out to be a really good writer. And I remember I read something. I think he did a book of short stories or essays. I want to say it was in the 90s or the 2000s. It was a long time ago. And he wrote one on that track. He did it by himself. Okay. Oh, He did a solo and it was very soulful. It was very interesting. It was extremely insightful and inward and and just very good writing. So I- Yes. Yes. Good. Well, we should read it. And we look forward to reading John's as well. So get better, John. He'll get better and he'll come back with our postcards home. (laughs) So that's it. I mean, mean, next up, I mean, we have something that's going to be- Ollie's going to do her thing on ice cream. Ollie, so yeah, back it all comes back to Ollie Turner, our intern. <laughs> so we, we, we went, during our very animated and fruitful meeting, we came up not only with ice cream, I think you forgot that we also hit on flea markets. Oh, that's right. She's going to be doing thrifting. flea markets. Yes. And thrifting. I'm, I think we, we should go as a, a, a staff. It should be a staff field trip. But I think yes. that's a good idea. So Ollie, we all love flea marketing and Todd Farm. And I was and, just at Todd know, Farm with yeah. my dad and my son this weekend. Yeah, and, and Brimfield. She. She hadn't heard of Brimfield, but she's going to go. She's going to go. And she also knows of some things that we don't because she's hip and young and cool. Remember this sort of undergroundy Boston art mart. So we're looking forward to Ollie showing us the way to thrifting and flea marketing on the North Shore. It's very, very, very hot. Even at the highest ends of uh, fashion now, it's very interesting. One A big trend that's happening is reuse. Right. Right. Yeah. You've been talking about this. This is, this yeah. is, it's the next trend. Imagine a world where Valentino in their, you know, 20, their spring 2028 season will have reuse of their collection from the 1990s. Which is refreshing. Finally, fashion That's actually up. happening. That's not like, that's not like a joke. <laughs> no, that's actually you. happening, which is really interesting. So Ali, I, I love that. And that's all being driven by this younger generation, Generation Z. 100%. I mean, I know- The youth. Yeah, who won't buy new clothes anymore. God yeah. bless them. That is a fantastic approach. Yeah, this to whole things. idea of disposable everything is 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 kind of, uh, we've hit our tolerance for it, which is nice. We're paying the price. Or we're hitting our tolerance for yes, it. Um, so good. So know. I'm looking forward to that. I love well. that. Definitely. Okay. Well, before we go, I was wondering if I could ask you a little bit, because here at the Cricket, I live in my my wonderful bubble of just people and food and and, <laughs> and artists and I and, and artists. potters. I, it's it's potters and it, painters. It's, right? it's hard to call it a job, really. <laughs> it's so fun and wonderful. Having said that, I do hear about the goings on about town, which which I should probably. I I always read the articles when we proof the paper, but I was wondering. That is something that you 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 know you have a firm handle on and cover. And I was wondering if you could let me know some of the bigger events going on regionally at the moment. Well, I mean, you mean like municipal exactly. operations and government and stuff like that. Yeah, there's been some interesting things. I mean, and you're not so far from it because one of the things that are going on is there's a lot of stuff in Essex going on with regard to fortification of of the the coastline of and course. and they've been. I mean, Peter Fippen, the selectman yes. over there. Um, we had him in for a podcast. He does a oh, great series so on the Great Marsh because he's yeah. a um, he's a he's a scientist um, and he works for nonprofits, literally on in working with the Great Marsh primarily, which is a twenty five thousand acre uh, ecosystem on our 
border, you know, right. along our coastline. It's very, very important ecologically. And, right. and, and Essex is right in the middle of it. So there's a lot of things going on with Essex with grants and, and, and fortification and things like that. So that's actually really interesting. Hugely I'm going to watch important. that this summer, actually, yeah. and going into the it's fall. we all should be paying attention to. It's our sponge. It's our protector. It's Sponge is a good word for it, actually, because yeah. a lot of the plants and the marsh and the reed area, that's a system that actually not only can be a border and a and a barrier for sea level rise, but also for things like heavy metals totally. and things like that. There's yeah. a lot of plant life that can absorb mercury and and heavy metals and, and things like that. And it's things like, like um and, and there are a lot of grasses that can actually absorb CO2. I mean it's it there's a it's a very complicated, rich, interesting story. And it's very interesting to watch it played out at the municipal level. I can only imagine trying to balance out needs of change and respecting it and letting it do its job. Yes. And also it, by definition, if you really think about it, you know, this is 25,000 acres. It spans two states. It starts in New Hampshire and it has countless municipalities. It starts, you know, in the seacoast area with Hampton and, you know, and Rye and, and all that area of, you know, around Portsmouth. But then it goes to the Merrimack Valley and the Merrimack River area, mm-hmm. Newburyport, Amesbury, Georgetown, think of those guys. And then right. and then it swings down through Ipswich. Ipswich and Essex are almost all like, I think of those two like, as being basically one big great marsh. You know what I mean? Like there's so much marsh it's area It's marsh, there. marsh all around. And then it hooks into right through Cape Ann, you know, by way of Essex. And then right. it goes up into West Gloucester. Yes. So it's very, very vast. So I just said that, right? Imagine if every municipality wanted to go it alone. Oh, yeah. Right? So- that's a very interesting mm. way of looking at regionalization and cooperation because what you can see and what Peter Fippen is actually in the middle of is this kind of coordinated effort to kind of say, okay, how are we going to use this strategically? And it's the federal government, you know, the state DEP and, and all sorts of the state, Massachusetts, the federal government through the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, every municipality, and then even commercial interests. I mean, the Great Barsh Symposium. I mean, one of the most powerful speakers I saw was from like Ipswich Shellfish Company. Right. You know, because they're interested in their future just like everybody else. It's very, very interesting. So yes. I, I like that. So that, I, all that by way of saying, <laughs> you are involved. You're not that that far away <laughs> okay, from <fine>. it. <laughs> and then here in Manchester, um, I guess the thing that's been going on more than anything else right now is talk about regionalization. Oh, my God. It was like I oh, teed it up the, for myself. Of course, the dispatch. Regionalized public safety dispatch yes. um, has happened. And it was yes. very interesting to watch the Board of Selectmen vote for that after the town had an election where a majority, not a super majority, but a majority of people said they wanted to keep it local. Right. The unions were really involved. They really wanted to kind of keep the local dispatchers employed and they've done a fine job. It's just, you know, regionalization is sort of the future in many categories. And I'll tell you, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Yes, please. Basically the state is bracing itself for a future where we might have big emergencies. Right. 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 And if we have big emergencies, we have 347, I think, municipalities in the state of Massachusetts. I, I, I probably got that number wrong, but I'm close, actually. It's, I think it's 340-something, right? <laughs> that might look like a seven. Um, <laughs> but imagine if we had 347, if mm-hmm. that's what it is, separate dispatchers, and we had like a category, whatever, hurricane or sea level rise change or a big... So, you know, right. something Messy happened. and dangerous to some degree. Exactly. Imagine if you're the state and you have to coordinate right. public safety 
on a state level. So where they want to go, the state, is they want to have regionalized kind of centers where they have no more than maybe seven municipalities all sharing one. And that actually, now that you can coordinate with and sort of work with if something goes wrong. So the state has actually for the last three years or more has been really trying to encourage regionalized dispatch and they have offered it for free to this town of Manchester for 10 years. But here's the cook. It was 10 years, not when we agree to it. Oh, no. It's 10 years, ten years from when, when they offered it, basically, to right? To it, right? So now we're looking at seven years because we're three years into our, mm. you know, navel gazing about like, how are we going to do it? <laughs> and I think the board of selectmen finally realized we have to just make this happen. And, and I think they were looking at big financial obligations in the future. They, I mean, we ha- think about it. We have massive infrastructure issues going on. We've right. got an elementary school that we have to build. We've oh, got we've got a course. lot, and we have a new public safety um, headquarters that we have to build. Okay. We do just like Essex did it a couple of years ago. Ah, uh, the fire station. Yes, we have course. to do a fire station slash police station somewhere. So we okay. have a lot of obligations. And I, by the way, I, I don't. This I'm speaking off the top of my head. I don't even like. There are a couple of big ones that I've missed. So in light of that, the board of selectmen said, "Listen, you know what? You hired us not to listen to the popular." vote. We have to do things even when they're not popular. You hired us. And by hire, we mean voted them in as volunteers because they don't get paid (laughs) to run the town. Which is good to know. Yeah. I mean, they're volunteers and they're very talented volunteers. Right. And they, I mean, you know, the chairman, Becky Jakes opened up by saying, you know, I, and she read the definition of what her job is and what their job is. And the job is they're agents. We elect agents and then we trust them to do a good job until they don't and then we vote them out or we vote them in. Right. That's the way it works. And they Smart. kind of pull the trigger on that and it was very hard for them to do. I can only imagine. But it's yeah. going to save something like I mean honestly if you talk about all the software upgrades uh, for GPS and location device you know all that stuff you're looking at something that closes in on um like a million almost a million dollars a year. Okay. So oh and by the way the state it's free. For seven years. So <laughs> for seven years. And and we can get out of it if we want. And it's got state of the art. They upgrade all their software, you know, the whole thing. And it's with Essex. Essex is there. Great. Topsfield. I, I forget. There's like five towns totally, four, four or five towns. Okay. So I think Amesbury's in there. I I please don't, you know. I I'm, Wenham's in there and Essex and Topsfield. Good. And then okay. the other two. Well, anyway, no, so that's it, what's happening. Yes, and it makes sense. And if I may say that in this week's paper, Greg Federspiel wrote a really great sort of piece on this. And for someone I had been sort of following lightly, but not too much, it really spoke about, you know, as, as much as we wish we could all sort of collectively make decisions, you're exactly right. We do put people in place to have the good sense to sometimes say, we're just going to go down. We're going to do it this way. Yeah. And this was one of those. Yeah. And, Yep. So there you go. Um, Thank you. Good. Yeah. I'm, su- I'm up to speed. I love it. Good. <laughs> you want to come over and cover municipalities? Stuff? Yeah. <laughs> nope. I'm staying right where I, right up, I see my desk. I love it. That's my world. All right, Chris, this is great. We're back in the saddle again. Yes. No more crickets from the cricket. We're going to be a true orchestra now. We'll make lots of sounds and hopefully keep up with the podcast. We're looking forward to talking about all these great things coming up in our wonderful summer. I love it. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidecar. To hear more Cape Ann stories like these, subscribe to the Sidecar podcast from thecricket.com on your favorite podcasting platform.